of the ant? Well, for most of us, the idea of meditating on the ant would be the least of our mental activities during the day. But the scriptures call us to consider the way of the ant. And that's what we'll do on this Tuesday edition of Through the Bible Radio with our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So turn in your Bible to Proverbs 5 at verse 15 as you listen to this letter from a fellow bus rider in San Jose, California, who wrote, I learned of your program through a woman in my Bible study. Now that I'm listening to Dr. McGee, I'm amazed how little of the Bible I knew even though I grew up in the Baptist church. I love the Lord more and more as I see the brilliance and love it took to put the Bible together. I now understand how interconnected the books are to one another. I am excited to learn more and build my trust and relationship with Jesus. Thank you for this new love of learning the Bible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, bless the teaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Our study today brings us into the fifth chapter of the book of Proverbs, and we're putting in at verse 15. Now, you will recall that last time here in chapter 5 that the young man is given a lesson in sex, and he's counseled to live a pure life for the sake of his home. And by the way, this is the kind of sex education that God gives, and you certainly find it here. We saw that the strange woman meant a stranger. God had forbidden his people to enter into this. No Israelite woman was to become a prostitute. But there came a day in their history that they got so far from God and in immorality that she's, though called a stranger, foreigner. Uh, You will recall back in the second chapter, verse 17, it says she had forsaken the guide of her youth and forgotten the covenant of her God, so that some of these people had gone into it also, to prostitution. And as a result, why, they're still called strangers because they're strangers as far as their relationship to God is concerned. Now, God is warning against that. Now, he tells about the relationship that should exist between the husband and the wife. And here you see marriage brought to a very high plane. And notice the way that it's spoken of here in a very wonderful way. It says, drink waters out of thine own cistern, and running waters out of thine own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad, and rivers of waters in the streets. Let them be only thine own, and not strangers with thee. In other words, your offspring should be offspring that your wife, the wife of your bosom, is the mother of. He says, Now let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times, and be thou ravished always with her love. 
Now, the Word of God makes it very clear that physical love and sexual love is to be sanctified and brought to a very high level. There was a time when these things were taboo. They were not mentioned, and they were thought of as being maybe something that was immoral, even among married folk. It's a sort of a dirty thing. Do you notice here God lifts it to the very highest plane? Why? Because marriage is something God's given to the human family for the welfare and will of mankind. It's something they're trying to get rid of today, of course. Now, for the child of God, for the Christian, the Christian home, that should be a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. And you can't have it any higher or holier than that. And God has said some very interesting things in this connection. And right now, when you hear of so many that break over here, this is something that's alarming in some churches, and it ought to cause the church to get down on its knees before God and find out what's wrong on the inside. When again and again, this man runs off with another woman, and it happens not once and twice, but it probably is happening many times that folk don't know anything about. Well, there's something radically wrong there. The Word of God is not getting through and not influencing and swaying the lives of those that are there. Listen to what the writer to the Hebrews said in 13.4. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. God said this is a wonderful relationship. It's not something to be treated as if it's not a clean thing. Why, it's high and it's holy. But notice the other side of the picture. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. A man came in to me years ago. I was pastor of a church, and I'm not giving any details here because I don't want him identified, or them for that matter. And he announced to me that he was leaving his wife, a very wonderful wife and wonderful son, and he was going to run off with another woman. And they're all church members, let's say. But whether Christian or not, I'm not raising that. And he told me what he was going to do. Well, you can imagine what that young preacher at that time said, and I really laid it on the line to him. And he rose in indignation, and he said, Are you trying to rob me of my salvation? <laughs> I said, Brother, if you've got salvation, I'm not going to try to rob you of it. But I do want to say this to you, and I want you to remember it. If you are not God's child, then you're acting according to the way the devil's children act. But if you happen to be a child of God, I want to say this to you. One of these days, God's going to take you to the woodshed, and he'll whip you in an inch of your life. And I'm not sure but what he'll take your life. And this fellow sneered. <laughs> May I say to you, maybe I'm in a position of saying I told you so. But be that as ugly as it might be, I have to say this. The years have gone by since then, many years. And those two are the loneliest saddest, most frustrated, 
unlovely today. Oh, how I'm confident both of them would like to say, if I could only go back and do it all over again. Oh, will you notice? Peter goes on and says, he says that husband and wife are to dwell together according to knowledge. And notice this tremendous, that their prayers be not hindered. And that's in First Peter, the third chapter. Read those first few verses. I'll not turn to them, but how tremendous they are. Let me tell you, this is a real test. When a husband and wife, are so living before each other that they have joy and confidence and can kneel together and pray together and love together. And that home represents the relationship of Christ and the church. I want to tell you, my friend, that that is something God can and will bless. Oh, how important this is. Now, will you notice verse 21 here in this fifth chapter, for the ways of man are before the eyes of Jehovah, and he pondereth all his goings. Now, there's an interesting verse. The ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. You have to recognize that God is seeing you all the time. He's watching you all the time. A man was put in a foursome with three of us that were Christians. He didn't know that we were... <laughs> three preachers, and he was glad to get away from us when he found out who we were. But he ripped out an oath, and when he found out that he was with preachers, he began to apologize. He said, oh, I'm sorry for what I said, and all that sort of thing. Well, I'll tell you, I said to him, I said, brother, don't pay attention to us. We're just three men like you are. But you are speaking that way before God all the time. I don't care whether you're in a bar room or Wherever you are, you're saying that before God. The ways of man are before the eyes of Jehovah. And God pondereth. God is wondering why you act and say what you do. I think that's the only time that God really gets puzzled is the way that some act today. Now, we have here a tremendous picture. I heard a man preaching years ago. He said, I'm a dying man talking to dying men. That's what we are. I'm a sinner saved by grace, speaking to sinners that if they're not saved by grace, they can be saved by the grace of God. Now notice as he moves on here, he says here that his own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. He shall die without instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. God says that there is a day coming, a day of accountability, a day of retribution, a payday is coming someday. And that day is on the way, my friend. You think you're getting by with it. You're not getting by with it at all. Now we come to chapter 6, and we find that he says here something that's good for the business world today, whether they're Christian or not, whether they even recognize God or not. Here's some good business principles. You see, God's given a lot of good advice for mankind, whether he's saved or not. It's good advice for him down here in this world. And here in chapter 6, why the important thing he mentions here at the beginning is beware of signing a friend's note. 
and never become a partner with a stranger. That's good advice anytime. And the man that's unsaved can follow this and may be successful in business, and many of them are. Let me read this. Verse 1 of chapter 6 of Proverbs. My son, if thou be surety for thy friend, if thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger, thou art snared with the sayings of thy mouth, thou art taken with the sayings of thy mouth. That means a person has been boasting. And apparently, one of the reasons that man will go on a note with another man, they want to be a big shot. They want to appear that they are really, you know, outstanding in the financial realm. And they will do a thing like that. Well, he says that this is something you need to beware of. If thou be surety for thy friend, if thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger, you're snared with the words of your mouth. Thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. Do this now, my son, and deliver thyself when thou art come into the hand of thy friend, go humble thyself, make sure of thy friend. Now you find out that you've got a friend and you've maybe hurt him in some way. Well, don't be afraid to go to him and get things straightened out. And be sure that you hold on to your friends and be sure that you beware of your enemies. That's exactly what he's saying here and he says it many other places to us. Now, he says here, give not sleep to thine eyes, nor slumber to thine eyelids. That is, get this thing straightened out. Deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter, and as a bird from the hand of the fowl. You are just like a bird caught in a trap if you go and sign a note. Deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter, as a bird from the hand of the fowl. Now, he not only uses the warning, but he also now gives the positive side of it. And you're not only to be prudent in your business and in what you do and what you say in the business world, but you're to learn something from the ant. And that is a wonderful thing. I think one of the greatest lessons of eternity is taught by the little ant. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, Consider a ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. Now, the little ant is quite a teacher. And ain't ant is really a teacher. And she can really reveal to us some great truths. One of them is that she's as diligent in business as anything possibly can be. Now, this is something that the child of God should look at that little ant, busy taking care of the things that are all important, getting in a food for the winter for the ant, preparing for the future, and busy about it. I think one of the great sins today, and I guess I've mentioned this before, I think one of the great sins of Christians is laziness. And many of them in full-time Christian service. What do you do today with your spare time? Are you reading the Word of God? Are you studying the Word of God? What a lesson the little old ant can teach us. What a teacher it is. And he's not through with that. He's going to go on with this. He says here, 
How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou rise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth, and thy want as an armed man, a naughty person, a wicked man, walketh with a froward mouth. Now we come to another subject, but before we leave this other, laziness is a sin for a child of God. Laziness is a sin. Wasting of time. Today, I think one of the curses of the ministry is laziness. A young man came in to me and told me, he says, I feel like I'm through as a preacher. I've been pastor up here at a place three years. And he said, I've run out of sermons. I feel like a dried up well. And then, of course, they always become very pious. He says that I spend a lot of time in prayer, meditation. And I said, how much time do you really spend in the Word of God, really studying the Word of God? Well, I couldn't get a very definite answer, but I take it the young man spent less than an hour a week in the Bible. He's quite a promoter, always out doing something. But the important business always remained undone. And I told him, I said, unless you change your ways, you ought to get out of the ministry. It's a disgrace to get into the pulpit on Sunday morning unprepared. You ought to have something to say. Now here in verse 12, a man of Belial, a wicked man, walketh with a froward mouth. He winketh with his eyes. He speaketh with his feet. He teacheth with his fingers. Have you ever noticed that some people, the wicked person, that everything they do and say, every gesture is always suggestive. It always has a filthy connotation. And there are Christians that are borderline cases here. There's a preacher that I got away from years ago, and I had a layman the same way, double entendre, everything that he said. And I know of a so-called Christian group that they meet, and their jokes are double entendre, has that little suggestive thing that is in there. And this is something that God is speaking against, by the way. And God says concerning this individual, perverseness is in his heart. He deviseth mischief continually. He soweth or casteth forth discord. Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. Suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. Here is a person that is supposed to be a child of God, and yet his every movement, of his body as a suggestive thing. I hope I'm not a prude uh, in reference to television, but there are one or two programs that I, I just don't listen to because of the fact that it's so loaded with that which is suggestive. One is a comedian, and every story he tells is, just has the double meaning. And, unfortunately, Christians get caught up in that kind of a thing. One of the great men of God, he was not a great preacher, but he was a great man of God. He meant a great deal to me. I have spent hours with that man in the past. I have his picture here at the study. He always reminded me of the pureness of speech. I never heard that man say anything that was suggestive, anything that had one bit of smut in it. 
man that was just as clairvoyant. Everything he said was, and he and his life was as clear and clean as the noonday sun. That's the type of man we need today. Now, I recognize that I sound like a square. What we need is some bright young fellow with the latest thing in haberdashery and the latest haircut, and everything just must be. And yet you see him eyeing the girls, and uh, here he is married, the wife not quite sure about him, and we say, my, he's got a good personality. May I say to you, and I want to say it very clearly today, we are loaded with folk like that in Christian service, and we're getting nowhere. And you know why? God is not mocked. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you sow to the flesh, you going of the flesh reap corruption. And when you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap that which is life everlasting. God is not being fooled today. And I don't think he minds being called a square, because actually he's not a square. He's a trinity. That makes a triangle. And you can't call him a square. Our God today demands a holy life. And somebody says, why? Because he is holy. He's that kind of a God, and it's that kind of a person that he's going to bless and be interested in. Oh, how you and I need to recognize that we're dealing with a holy God. And I said to a preacher friend of mine, he's a wonderful preacher, he's in the holiness movement today. fact of the matter is, he's Pentecostal, but he emphasizes holiness. And I was kidding him. I said, you know, the trouble with you holiness people today is... The one criticism I have is that you've lost your holiness, and you are the ones ought to be bearing down on that for the benefit of us today that have got very far from God. My, what an emphasis is needed in this particular connection today. Now we're moving down into a very wonderful chapter here, and we come next time to the seven things that God hates. Somebody said, Come again. I don't think I understood you. Did you say that God hates seven things? He sure does. Well, somebody says, I thought God's love. He is love. But think this over till next time. God is hate also. He hates some things. He says he does. We'll see that next time. We'll get to the seven things that God hates tomorrow. Until then, you might want to meditate on what Dr. McGee said about our need for holiness. Moses wrote in the book of Leviticus, For I am the Lord, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Jesus says something similar in his Sermon on the Mount. You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Holiness, or perfection, is the standard that God has set before us. But how can we live such a life? Well, by receiving God's glorious salvation through Jesus Christ, who bore our sins on the cross, that we might gain his righteousness. Or, as the writer to the Hebrews says, For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Meaning that he's made holy those who are being made holy. 
But this is only true to those who have placed their faith in Christ and His work on the cross, and not in their own efforts to be saved. If you'd like to know more about God's means for your salvation, ask for our salvation packet when you call anytime, leaving a voicemail request, along with your name, address, and the call letters of the station. Now, since we're now in a new month, I'd like to bring to your attention our December offers. They include Dr. McGee's edited messages on Proverbs in a single paperback volume. And then we also have an audio CD, Dr. McGee's sermon, The Time and Place of Christ's Birth Prophesied. For our featured resource this month, we have the CD album, which includes the lessons on Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. Now, these items can be found in our December newsletter or in our online bookstore. As you may recall, this is Letter Month here at Through the Bible, so we'd like to ask that you make a special effort to send us some brief comments about what God is teaching you through these studies by Dr. McGee. Share with us how you found the broadcast, maybe, or just tell us how you're passing on the word about the programs to others. Really, we'd like to hear anything that you'd like to share with us. To contact our offices for the Salvation Packet or purchase any of our resources, or just to express your interest in the ministry, call 1-800-65-BIBLE, Monday through Thursday from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. Pacific Time. Or write to Through the Bible Radio, in the U.S., Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. Or find us online at ttb.org. Now tomorrow, we're going to learn about those things that God hates. So be sure to join us as the Bible bus rolls along on its five-year journey through the Bible. Jesus made it all, to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson This program's been brought to you by the faithful friends and supporters of the worldwide ministry of Through the Bible Radio Network.